This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. start gentlemen we're a little bit late on this but cam newton basically fending off four people at once with his uh people have been saying a wizard hat i feel more like witch-esque but i guess witches wizard wizards all kind of the, the same. was the hair coming out of the center of the top of the hat I, I didn't pay that much mind so i didn't look that closely but that's what it looked like when i glimpsed at the video i don't think so okay. dude i i mean cam newton was like one of the athletes i really admired growing up um and Seeing him in person, like on the seven on seven circuit, I guess like people on the circuit kind of view it as as normal now, just because he's been running his own team for several years at this yeah, point. Yeah, him and his dad. Yeah, but he's literally at all these tournaments just like for the fun of it. Um, and when you see him in person, like he looks different, man. He's like he's six, monstrous. Yeah, he's like six five two sixty. Like he's a yeah monster of a human being. Um, if I recall correctly, he trained at IMG pre-draft, and I crossed paths with him there for whatever reason. I think I might have been down there for seven on or visiting the school for prospects. And I just remember thinking, that dude looks like a defensive end. A reminder, we say this occasionally on the show, that like we, the collective we, as like fans who aren't there on the, the field running around, don't have a great grasp of like what we're actually watching sometimes, the the speed and strength and size of the human beings that, that we're watching. And this is just further... You know, exemplifies that. Yeah, these are these are different human beings than the rest of us. Cam Newton fending off four people in a fight um, with with ease, not losing his wizardy witchy hat. Uh, but I want to talk about Chris. Is you are a veteran of the seven on seven circuit? By the way, this is on the bench. I'm Brendan, Chris, Zach. Hello. Um, you're a veteran of the seven on seven circuit. You've seen your share of fights of scuffles. This is not abnormal. Debauchery in that setting is perfectly normal. Because uh, it's fights, hot, words right? exchanged. Yeah. And sometimes theft, teams getting kicked out. And Cam is, I mean, yeah. Cam's, Cam's one of the biggest. Um, oh, he'll squawk. Yeah. He's the biggest, one of the biggest talkers when it comes to, you know, chirping at the other side. So I um, just think you have to be an idiot to try to throw hands on a former NFL player if you are not a former NFL yeah, player or a guy, player thing like a UFC a guy fighter. Of his stature. It's not like some 
you know, tiny running back. Like the dude's six five. I can assure you that at least, I mean, I don't know how like quickly it escalated, but at least one or two of those guys had it in their mind before. Like, oh, I bet you I could take Cam Newton. I'm, I'm a firm believer in evaluation, and you need to evaluate that situation beforehand and realize you're probably going to get your ass kicked. Byer Sinone, Chris, if Cam Newton had Zach and I in a headlock, you would come over to help defend Hell him. no! <laughs> I'd, I'd take video of it and laugh, and hey, maybe I'd become an internet superstar on the X, but no, I'm not, no. No, you give it to I'm, Zach I'm, and I because we have the X blue, so we'd actually profit from it. Chris would yeah. do that. Chris would put the video up on his own X. And not let us make any money while we get our asses kicked. The problem was whether Chris would help us or not. Buy our Sonoma. I would not. We had our head in a, yeah, parts <laughs> Okay. Uh, but Chris, what is the best, well, best being a relative term, the most memorable seven-on-seven fight uh, that you've ever seen in person? Uh, truly, like, well, I mean, my most memorable seven-on-seven thing, and Wayne McGahee's going to listen to this and laugh because I'm pretty sure he was there. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who now has had a healthy NFL career, I believe instigated a fight between maybe Pro Impact and a South Florida team. I can't remember who. I believe it was at IMG. He And he wasn't on either team when he caused this. He was just squawking at one, and then another one showed up, and it turned into a thing. And those two teams got into it, and Chauncey just was like an onlooker. He is probably the greatest trash talker I've ever seen in person. Like when you see things about him in the NFL, like irritating other players and People basically thinking he needs to shut up and things like that. It's all true. Like, he's phenomenal at it. It's very impressive. That's probably my most memorable thing. I mean, I, I remember instances of, like, buses being entered and items going missing and that happening to teams and causing major issues at some tournaments. I, I was lucky. I was there for the early days of 7-on when it was select teams, like, when it was really, really good teams because it was one team for major areas of athletic talent. And everybody on that team would go on to play pretty high-end college football, and a lot of them would end up being pros. Now it's a little bit more slice and dice, where there's like you know 15 teams for Miami and five teams for areas that can't support five teams. So it's just not the same. I'm not really a fan of it, and for a lot of sideshow that goes on with it is why I'm not a fan of it. Chris and I kind of came up covering the beginning of seven on seven stuff. That's how we got to know each other and and, and whatnot. That was 15 years ago. Zach, what about you? Do you have a a good fight memory. Again, not good. That's not the right phrase for it. Yeah. Memorable. Um, Although Chauncey Gardner, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson starting a fight between two teams that he was not involved with at all just by talking is actually pretty. That's good. That's good yeah, well, I had one where it wasn't a fight, but I guess the seven-on-seven seven organizers didn't rent out the fields for long enough. <laughs> so they had to stop the tournament before the championship game so some like soccer team could come play on the field. <laughs> um, was that in South Florida? No, I don't think that was. Uh, I think it was somewhere else. I because I don't remember it being in South Florida, but I don't know where exactly that was. My my favorite one was it was this weird random like Space Coast seven on seven, but there were a few like handful of like really good Central Florida programs there, including at the time Dr. Phillips, which was like becoming a powerhouse uh they had nick patty at quarterback went to go to boise state i think that may have been like the haha clinton dicks teams or maybe right after but like they had dudes on those teams and they were like should have been like the front was runner matt on that team matt uh bill's player now matt uh, oh milano uh that yeah, milano. Was, i think milano may have been it was around that exact time it may have been a year after but it was around that time um 
Yeah, I think I think Matt would have been there. Um, so, anyways, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. saw Trey, was Trey Griffey. Griffey was on that t- the yep. team at a transfer there. So Ken Griffey was at this seven on seven tournament, and my colleague Chris Hayes and I were there talking with Ken Griffey Jr., which was awesome. Right, you're just sitting there shooting the shit with Ken Griffey Jr. And all of a sudden, one coach starts yelling, uh, and his Dr. Phillips playing, I can't remember who, starts yelling at someone. It escalates as these seven-on-seven tournaments do, and bench clearing, like brawl, pretty much starts off. But somehow in the mix of this, a parent and the head coach of Dr. Phillips at the time, a, a Dr. Phillips parent, started getting into it with the head coach. The head coach may have dropped something that was a little inappropriate uh, phrasing-wise, uh, and the head coach was fired in the next day or two. So, yeah, that was that was my – and Ken Griffey Jr. just stood there watching it, by the way. He did not get in, in, involved with it. Uh, but that was kind of a surreal seven-on-seven moment. Um, all right, let's get into the Florida State portion of this podcast. That was fun going down memory lane. So, this is on the bench. We are brought to you by Chattanooga Whiskey. Gentlemen, a, uh, a little news. I am getting a bottle pretty soon in the mail of Chattanooga Whiskey's White Port Cask Finished Bourbon. Talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. It's out now. You can get it on Sealbacks. Uh, if you're in the Chattanooga area, you can go ahead and get it at their Experimental Distillery on Market Street, which, by the way, like Chattanooga is just awesome, awesome city. A lot of cool stuff to do there. And, like, yes, there's all the nature stuff you can do. You can go hiking and uh, rafting and all that cool stuff. But you can also go down Market Street and get great eats and, Go to the experimental distillery and do a tour. So if you're in the area, highly recommended. Like I'm super excited about the white port cask finished bourbon. Uh, basically, they implement like three different bourbons in there. It's got like a wheat mash bill, which Chris and I've tried their like their straight uh, wheat mash bill, like cast strength version of it, and it's awesome. They go ahead and they put this in a white port cask finish, and they combine a couple of other bourbons. It's toasted, it's roasted. And it's supposed to end up having like rich, fruity, aromatic, complex uh, flavors and notes. Uh, honey, vanilla, stone fruit are some of the tasting notes that they've sent me here, but I have to try it myself and let you guys know, and, and I'll give you some samples too. So uh, Chattanooga Whiskey, thank you for their support. Uh, their experimental line is out, and uh, apparently it's getting really high reviews, so not not surprising at all. All right, so the NFL Combine is here. We've talked a little bit about previewing some of the players that would be there. FSU has a dozen. That's good PR for FSU. You know it's even better when those players go there and just kick ass and it's been awesome. oh yeah oh yeah that, that was pretty phenomenal watching that live as he crosses the finish line Braden fisk is who we're talking about he just goes oh yeah knowing him having spent a year around him understanding one that he's pretty easy dude to like but also he loves him some football and he's a bit freaky athletically for a large human like it all came together yesterday it was a pretty great I don't know if you got to watch the NFL Total Access interview with him after the combine wrapped up last evening. I did. It was great. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's a hundred percent him. Like when they're showing him with a uh, Teandre, not Teandre Waverly. Swift. Uh, yeah, Swift. T Swift. And they're like, "Oh, you're gonna do that to him?" And it's not, him with, not running DT, with Mahomes. Not DT Swift. No, the NFL version of it. The actual good NFL version of it. Oh, I thought you were, um, were going to say the actual good T Swift, and I was about and, to, uh, I was about to back off. Mahomes is. Uh, on there and he's like well i'm gonna have to be chasing that guy next year but i just yesterday was awesome like i thought first held up just fine uh i was surprised fabo did hey, hang on hey, let's let's, let's right. get let's get into it let's get into it braden fisk so basically this is going to be a rolling you know several days of fsu players participating in the nfl scouting combine uh first off yesterday 
and the athletic testing were defensive linemen as well as linebackers. So that gets you Braden Fisk, Jared Verse, Tata Bethune, Kalen Deloach for Florida State. And Braden Fabian Fisk. Lovett. Oh, and Fabian Lovett. See, thank, thank you, Chris. Um, Braden Fisk stole the show. Yeah. And when I say stole the show nationally, like, nationally, like NFL.com has a story up now, like the guys who helped their stock the most. Braden Fisk leads the, the story. Is Peyton Wilson on there too? Uh, he has to be, right? He, yeah, he, he was excellent. Big dude. That's NC uh, State linebacker who won ACC defensive player of the year. He's not. Uh, Dallas Turner's on there. Who was, he was awesome. Six foot two and has like an 83-inch wingspan, which is crazy. But so Braden Fisk, uh, for context, what he did. I got the numbers in front of me here. 40-yard dash, 4.78 seconds. That's at 292 pounds. A little like on the smaller side, but nothing. Like that's not crazy. The arm length is the one thing that is going to ding him a little bit. Yeah, it's right? a little T-Rex. But everything else goes really, really, really fast. And um, the film's obviously going to be great. But his... His 40-yard dash of 4.78 seconds is in the 98th percentile. His vertical jump of 33.5 inches, 95th percentile. Broad jump, 909. Uh, that is so nine feet, nine inches. No, wait, nine feet. Point, I don't know how the number. It's good. It's in the 97th percentile, closer to 98. And his shuttle drill, which I don't know if that was confirmed or not for sure, but 4.37 seconds. That's it was. It was okay. Yeah. So. All this combined, uh, there's a website that we'll, we'll follow. Clay and I are, are fans of it. It's uh, the Relative Athletic Score, RAS. <clears throat> I always want to say Relative Athlete Score. 9.97 was his score. It's out of, zero, out of 10. Score, 0 to 10. And basically, it's percentile-based, right? So that means he is in the 99th point seven percentile of defensive tackles. So they've been doing this since 1987. Or they've been tracking it with guys going back to 1987. I think there's been about 1,600 defensive tackles with, with time since guys who go to combines or pro days and you get all this data. Uh, he is sixth all time. So I had somebody who is a draft person, college person too, but not Florida State person, ask me like, how good is it before yesterday? How good is Braden? And I'm like, he is drastically better than his stats will tell you he is. And his stats aren't bad. They're good. That's good. He was but they're not eye-popping. They're not, they're not, you know, mind-blowing stats. But, like, you put on film of him, and he's unbelievably good. Obviously, Florida, Louisville, down the stretch there, we saw it, especially with a guy basically playing on one good foot at the time because he kept wearing yeah, he, a boot to those he had, games. He had turf toe with his two best games this season. But he was yeah. good all year. And the thing about him that I love is maybe more than anybody we covered last year on this football team, maybe Jordan Travis falls into this category too. Practice day-to-day, he was always really good. Like, it, the consistency is throughout. And it's partly because he just – he is athletically gifted, but he also just loves playing football. And he has an easygoing enough personality where I don't think bad things bring him down, and I don't think he ever gets too high. I think he's very consistent in the middle. Did you expect him to be, like, this crazy off the charts? With I didn't. I, I thought he'd be good. I thought he'd run a really good time. I, you know, Brendan's going to bring up the to be generationally story. good at something yeah. uh, like elite. I mean, it's like you know, we watch it. You guys watch this guy every day, right? Once, every every practice. Zach, once he did the jumping, the the, the broad jump and vertical jump, and those were as good as they were. Then I was like, oh yeah, because we knew he was going to do well in the yeah. forty and the shuttle stuff. So yeah. then we started looking up like the RAS like compares like Geno Atkins was who came up right away for him. And that's who they end up com compared to NFL.com. I'll give myself a pat on the back for, for stumbling on that. But as soon as we saw the, the vertical stuff, like we we're like, yes, like he's going to test well with everything else at this point. So for big body dudes with the 40, it's all about that 10 one. I think NFL teams probably care more about the 10 than the 40, but an eye popping 40 is still going to draw you attention. 
But the way he started that first attempt at the 40, it was like he, he's going to have one of those days. He's going he's gonna to be – he's going to smoke Mike Norvell in this race. Even though Mike's not out there running, he's still going to smoke. What do you and, think Mike's 40 time is? But Mike's got to be – yeah, he's got to be un, under five seconds. Right? On good hammies or bad hammies? It, Mike in the spring and early in, in camp is very different than Mike at the end of the season. Um, yeah. To be to be fair, um, but yeah, I think Mike Norvell's got wheels. I think that this was uh, justifying that that Mike's still got a little bit of juice. Chris, do you remember the time uh, Braden gave us a little bit of crap? Yes, for, about uh, the fumble in Clemson. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. I was wrong. We were. That's fine. We admitted we were wrong. Pretty much. Kalen's still plenty athletic, though. He did run what a four four seven. Yeah, Kalen Kalen Deloach uh, is very fast, and I, I, I'd rather the ball go in Kalen Deloach's hands. But I think FSU was in good hands with uh, the whole uh, the whole caveat of, uh, or uh, no, not caveat, caravan <laughs> of so, players who were following him into the end zone. To me, Kalen's like the opposite side of Brain. We knew Brain was going to go in yesterday and have a really good day, and his measurements other than the arm length were going to be good. With Kalen, measurements aren't good. There's nothing he can do to change that. Like. You know, you are built what you're going to be built like at 22, 23, 24 years old for the most part when it comes to the combine process. But he did well in the testing. Um, Daniel Jeremiah, who I think is one of the best in the biz, regularly praised him for the actual on-field testing portion where they're doing, you know, figure eight and different stop and go drills and whatever it pertains to your position. He did well in that stuff. So I thought, you and know, he, he helped well him too. Like the, yes. the 40 and the shot. Like best 40. For had to be for him to have a chance he's got to be like a special teams guy right and like yeah. so yeah he can go get down and the he's another guy he's oh. gonna win the interview he's gonna be good on the whiteboard and he's gonna get praised by the people that worked with him at fsu one because he's one of the few people that stuck it out here mm-hmm. and two because he is a guy that works extremely hard he cares he's been brought up the right way and it shines through in the way he approaches football Tatum Bethune, I uh, didn't do all the work, correct? I don't think he did any of the actual performance testing, but he did all of the on-field workouts. So performance testing is broad jump, vertical jump, 40, shuttle, three-cone, things of that sort. On-field testing is more football apical drills. So they do like figure eight or they do stop and go. Uh, for linebackers, they were doing some shuffle, side-to-side stop, catch a ball in the air. Um, basically different things to show what different linebackers do in the NFL. Now, linebackers, not a, you know, a pigeonholed position in the sense of how different teams use it. Some teams use them in very different ways, downhill versus in coverage. But he, he at least did well, like some of the measurement aspects and stuff, which is, which is good. That'll yeah. give him a chance. Um, no, nobody showed poorly yesterday, which was a really good sign. I think that praises how Mike yeah. Norville runs his program and also how Josh Storms works with his guys. Yeah. Fabian Lovett did well in like the positional drills. Again, um, no performance testing for Lovett. I was a little surprised he did no performance testing. I guess he was worried about 40. Maybe he just wants to run 140 on his pro day. Take that time. There are guys that have that approach. Um, and it's like, I, I'll be surprised. He probably will, knowing his makeup, Braden Fisk. But I'd be surprised if he ran a 40 again at FSU. Like, I don't feel like he needs to. But knowing him, I mean, he he literally went to do, what, 20-yard shuttle. And he's like, I just want to sweep the board. That kind of speaks to his mindset. Like, he didn't need to go do that. That's the last yeah, thing he had to do yesterday. But he's like, yeah, I'm going to go do it because I've done great at everything else. So why not? I think he'll be in Tallahassee to to cheer on his his brethren uh, at the pro day. I don't think he needs to do it. Talk to teams. Yeah, he's he's good. Uh, and then Jared Verse. Normally, that would be the guy stealing the show if there wasn't this generational performance. Uh, but Jared Verse had himself a, a great day. That pretty much solidifies him as a top, you know, ten to twenty 
drafted yeah. somewhere in that range. The only moment verse had that he probably like to take it back on a figure eight, he kind of stuttered and stopped at one point in the middle part of it. Figure eight basically for a defensive end, edge guy shows bend acceleration. You're you're running a figure eight circle, but you want to get your body lean into that circle. When they do the body tracking, it should be your inside circle, even though your feet are actually outside the circle. And with him, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was. They had to pick and drop a two towels in the drill. When he got to the middle, he like he stuttered and there was a stall. It's just one of those moments like you could tell he probably would have liked to do it again. But of course, NFL teams have come to a ton of FSU practices, and FSU practice does the exact same thing. Minus, I don't know if they use the towel situation, but they do do the lean figure eight stuff. So teams have seen him do that countless times. His 40-yard dash was sub 4.6. It was 4.58 seconds with a 1.6 10-yard split. That That's really good. You got a Will Anderson comparison from Daniel Jeremiah. He's one pound off. They're very similar number-wise. It, it's like Daniel Jeremiah was doing the, com- the comparison before they started the athletic testing, which is more on build and play style. And then the athletic testing is almost like identical. Dude's good at his job. He's he's incredible. We reference him a lot because he's really good at his he's really great at his job. But the broad jump, vertical jump, all of it was really good for Jared Verse. Yeah. And um, the thing with Verse is he's still a speed to power, power to speed guy. And that's that's the bread and butter. That's what teams are gonna love. And the measurements were what you want to see, and the film's still there. Anybody that can pick up a University of Florida SEC level offensive lineman, supposedly, and throw him into another human body to create a sack, yeah, th- they're gonna be liked. Like that's one of those things that help you win NFL games. So it's a great start for Florida State at the Combine. Uh, this evening, Friday evening, as we're recording this show on Friday morning, you'll have Jarian Jones and Renardo Green test. Big day for both of those guys. They're both draftable players. Renardo Green, some people are like talking about him as a potential day two guy. Uh, other sides to have more as a you know, mid to late day three. But like if he's he's someone who, if like he tests well, causes people to go back to the film, watch it over again. You see some of the metrics are going to be really good. Like, He's someone who can like make himself a lot of money based on what he does today. Jaheem's um, today too, right? Yes, Jaheem is also today. He's going to be another interesting one. And then over the weekend, we'll see you know, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, Trey Benson. Those could be fun days. Uh, and then obviously Jordan Travis is there as well. He's not expected to do anything physically. I think this is more for him getting okays with medicals and meeting with teams and, and kind of going from there. Um, but point being, this has been a really – Good start for Florida State for the combine just a couple years ago, like where this wasn't mattering at all from a Florida State perspective. Like when they do pro day later this month, there's going to be every NFL team represented and, and high end like GMs and stuff like that. That'll be there to watch some of these players. So like the, the program is ascending. That's what I like am interested in talking about before we move on to the next topic. I'll throw this to Zach. Like, how does this become a selling point for Florida State? How do you capitalize on what? this part of the the pre-draft process has been a better question maybe is how does Miami use it against Florida State somehow so many transfers no I mean I think uh you can point to the strength and conditioning program um you know where Brandon Fisk was ahead of his time at Florida State to where he is now like you know how much was that how much of that it was achieved by the staff um but even for guys that have been in the program for several years um just, I mean, they, they're moving different than, you know, all these elite players that are at the combine. Um, they're in the high percentiles in a lot of these categories. Like, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show um, what kind of development you can get at Florida State. And um, how, I guess for the question on how to sell that, I mean, 
Florida State just needs to uh, communicate that with recruits that they're after. Um, you know, show you know the progress of players that have come into their program and and how they left it. Um, you know, how they're performing athletically um, and how they grow on and off the field. I mean, that's kind of a typical recruiting pitch, but now you have actual um, tangible results that you can show, you know, prospective athletes that are looking into Florida State. Um, and I think that's important, just like we've seen kind of, you know, when you start winning some games, you're a better product. It's easier to sell yourselves on the recruiting trail. I think, you know, the same goes for, for you know, churning out NFL talent. Um, that's only going to help FSU's cause um, when it comes to recruiting in the future. So we know recruiting involves money, so I'm going to act like that doesn't exist in making these comments. But uh, when I talk to kids over the last two decades of doing this job, the number one reason really great football players in high school went to Alabama is because they believed, one, they would win a national championship. Two, they knew they would get developed both physically, mentally, and in the strength and conditioning program. And three, they knew they would go to the pros, get drafted high, and show well at things like the NFL Combine and be prepared for it. Because you played for an ACC championship and got screwed out of playing for an actual championship. They have 12 guys at the combine who on that list, I argue that at least 10 to 11 of them all drastically improved in their time at FSU, if not every single damn one. And three, they're going to have a good time in April when the draft rolls around. I remember Nick Saban's recruitment of Kayvon Thibodeau told him it didn't work. Like getting the pitch didn't get him there, but I thought it was just like, Badass for him to basically tell a five-star defensive end. It's like, listen, wherever you go, you're going to have a 25, statistically a 25% chance of, of getting drafted pretty high, like you know, day one pick, uh, just based on your profile and where guys normally go. You come here at Alabama, historically, we have a 50% chance of sending you to the first round, NFL draft in the first round. Like, okay. Um, but that's where you now start, like to Zach's point, Chris's point, like you have that proof of concept now that you start to sell. Uh, there will be naysayers. A lot of those guys are transfers. Okay. Uh, does Brandon Fisk get taken? Who cares? The, top- the, the, belief, the idea that like a transfer is a bad thing has to die. We live in a transfer border world. A lot of kids transfer at least once, if not twice, maybe more in a collegiate career. Like it doesn't matter anymore. It's did you go somewhere? Did you become a better football player? Did you become better at understanding the game of football? And when you came out at place, did it set you up for success at the next level? Who gives a you know what if you came from the high school ranks to the portal ranks? It doesn't matter anymore. It should you're school, saying that schools lot, that, saying that schools that only win seven games traditionally because they're crap programs, they might combat that. Who cares if you're winning double digit football games and competing for championships and putting yourself in position to be the best in college football? Nobody's going to care about that. The only schools that can say that currently, like can get away with the argument versus what FSU is, in my opinion, are Alabama, Georgia and Ohio State. And they're three best recruiting programs over the last decade. Ohio State's all in on the transfer portal at this point, too, because it's 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 a new norm. Just live with it. If anything, like this should all make you feel really, really good about like Mike Norvell, like found this and we've talked about it for years at this point but like now you're starting to see the fruits of that labor like materialize and like real tangible stuff and like he saw the transfer portal as one it was it was a necessity but but two a thing that they really liked as as they got into it and they're like oh we can implement culture through this like we're not worried about this mercenary feel like we we can establish culture we can get guys to come in buy in to our program get them in the strength and conditioning program smooth out aspects of their game scheme to their strengths and have them leave more productive players than they were coming in. 
and win more games too, which is what the name of the game is for, for I, head coach. I, I think there's a degree of portal because a kid has been in the college game and it's more professional. You have an idea of how are they going to handle that? What are they capable of becoming within that kind of controlled system? High school recruiting is that's best football dude on the field out there every Friday night or one of the best. He goes to camps and he's very athletic. We love his measurements and we think he's really good. And we've tried to evaluate him mentally, how he's going to handle it. But you don't know how a kid's going to handle college until they're actually in college. So I think that's a degree where FSC is very good at evaluating a portal kid and how he's going to handle it. In the high school thing, that's not going to change. I mean, the best of the best, again, a school like Alabama, for every kid Alabama has produced in the NFL draft, they produced probably pretty close to equal transfers over the years because Nick Saban understood they aren't old May for this. Some are, some aren't. And you got to trim the fat and keep bringing in the ones that are. And that's how you build a really good roster of 85. One, one other thing I think like uh, the collective we is like people who talk about college football and as it applies to like going to the NFL and evaluating and recruiting. Uh, the idea that like the transfer portal can't yield high upside players, like that needs to go away too. And it's yep. I, like, I know you can point to one-offs, but like, all right, Florida state this year, their first player drafted is going to be Jared verse. Albany. I start with the pinky. Damn it. Jared verse. Uh, next up is going to be probably Keon Coleman, Michigan state. Next up, Braden Fisk with Western Michigan. Those are all going to be top 50 picks. Maybe top 30 picks. And two of the three came from non-P5 programs, including one that came from an FCS. Like, you, like <laughs> you can find them. Trey Benson, if he runs well, is probably going to be a top three or four round pick. Poorly used by mediocre football coach. And injuries. Um, but yes. Point being, like, uh, you can find legitimate game changers in the transfer portal. And you're not doing it consistently. You may have to pay more well, – there may have to be more NIL opportunities involved for those players as like the market has kind of recalibrated. Right. And now people see that there's this value there, but like no, FSU's nailed it. Like in, it's in how almost like it's it. professional it's like, sports. Almost. All right. So speaking of uh, us being kind of snarky about the landscape of college football, I, I got a thing that I have to be critical about as we transition here. NCAA is looking to change the signing period to make it three. And uh, when I just say that, like, that sounds good. I'm like, okay, there's some things that I think that could really make some sense. I start having issues. I guess I'm tainting the jury pool here. I'll get your guys' thoughts, though. Issues I have is when I start hearing the new dates. Uh, so they're talking about it this week, if approved, new signing periods. And my understanding is that it would be possible, like, this cycle. Like, so this would be impacting the next couple months here. Uh, new signing periods would be the final Wednesday in June. Damn, I start with my thumb. The final Wednesday in June. Uh, final, uh, the weekend after the Wednesday after college football's regular season finale and then the first Wednesday in February so traditional signing period so you'd have three and one of those would be in June thoughts gentlemen discuss uh, Zach you start yeah I mean good job Zach. Me, you cleared your throat no, yeah for me the the June one is the most alarming um I just it seems way too close to the official visit weekends because from what I understand, that's the Wednesday directly after the final official visit weekend, but what they're proposing. Um, and I feel like, you know, some of these schools coming straight off of a visit high, you know, four straight visits, you know, some of these kids might be inclined to, you know, sign to a school. And the obvious caveat here is, you know, with the transfer portal, I guess it's not as big of a deal 
for some of these guys to to lock into a school early because I mean technically even before you get on campus you can request out of your national national letter of intent which we saw some guys do at Alabama this past you know with with you know saving leaving um, some of those guys that were in that class requested out um, so let's say that some of these schools that I posted on Twitter like that that could capitalize off this June official visit uh or june signing day um would be like you know some of these off-season champion schools right these really good recruiting staffs who when the season rolls around they go and win six games or seven games and they they have a tough time holding on to a lot of their commits um i think some of those schools could land some elite talent um and have them sign in that signing period and you know would they be better off probably because um, to me, I, I think it's probably easier to play defense um, with guys that are either in your signing class or on the roster than to go and try to land elite talent when you are four and eight uh, in December. So that's my concern with it. Um, and I think it kills a lot of high school evaluations for the senior year, too, um, because if if. You know, when when the early signing day in December was first put in place, I don't think, at least at the start, uh, it was pretty evenly split um, between both December and February where guys would sign. But now it's become completely, almost completely uh, December oriented to where, you know, 99% of the class is signing in that in that uh, period. Is that what June's going to become? I mean, it could. Um, and, and if so, I think that's going to be dangerous, not only for, you know, the health of high school football, um, because there are a lot of you know seniors that might put on really good tape um, that fall and maybe they haven't done anything else in their high school career or they've been kind of steadily building and they're not going to get the opportunity to get looked at by some of these schools that fill up their signing classes in June. Um and I think, honestly, like, if you think about it, if you're locking in all these guys um, with NLIs in June and then they go out and, you know, maybe they weren't the player you thought they were in their senior season, well, you're locked into those players um, at, for the time being. With obviously, you know, the transfer portal existing, I guess it's not that big of a deal. But to me, I think it's going to only increase the amount of players that are entering the transfer portal because a lot of these schools are going to miss on guys because they don't get that key evaluation uh, piece of, you know, senior film. I mean, it's a huge, huge deal um, when you're trying to project guys and what they're going to do at the college level. So I guess that's my kind of take on, on that specific day. I think the one, so they're moving up the, the one in are proposing to move the one up in December. I think that's going to pass from what I've heard um, from, you know, three weeks into December all the way up to I think it's December 4th. It's the Wednesday during before, championship week. Yeah. The Wednesday before uh, conference championship week. So I, I think that's probably fine. Um, I'm not huge on any of the timing of it, but it probably makes the most sense considering directly after the championship game is when the portal opens and, you know, it, it's probably smart to have those completely separate and not have them going on at the same time. Like we've seen in the past two cycles, that's not healthy for, you know, these coaches that are trying to juggle, you know, all this going on at once. So 
Um, I think it's probably the the smartest move, um, at least for the time being. So I'm of the opinion, uh, I don't love three dates, but I don't really think there's another version that works well either. Um, I think they need to change the entire calendar. I've felt this way for a few years. I think officials should be allowed sooner. So I, I think the only officials allowed in January need to be guys, obviously, that can sign in February and coaches are able to go on the road. Coaches are still going to want that time to go on the road and evaluate future classes. February completely shut it down. Open up March where you can start taking officials if kids want to, but they have to be academically able to and schools have to be willing to do March, April as visits, shut down May, make it solely evaluation or maybe April 15th to May 15th if you want to shift those dates a little bit. June is a three-week open period for camps, officials, all of that. Shut down all of July. Scrub that last week from the July calendar that currently is open and used. You run into a lot of high school kids already doing stuff with their high schools. You're going to run into, for example, with FSU this year. They're going to be prepping for Ireland and Georgia Tech that last week of July when things are open. Like scratch that week, move, remove it completely. If you want to create an early period, make it August 1st, but make it ironclad. We're outside of a coaching departure, head coach departure. A kid is locked in until they enter into the university system and then they can enter into the portal if they so see fit. I just think you got to create something where there has to be a trade off there for a kid to truly buy in on it. Um, I am with Zach. I think it damages senior year. I think it damages evaluating kids over a senior year. There are kids who have great sophomore, junior years, feel like their risers hit the senior year and realize, oh man, they hit their ceiling a year ago. And then there's obviously the flip side of a kid that comes out of nowhere or a kid that drastically improves, has a great senior year and becomes a very good prospect. The championship week signing day, uh, coaches don't love it. Um, you know, the, but I don't think there's, I can't figure out a good time to do a late season pre January signing day that really works because you've got the portal smashing. And the issue is the overlap of the calendars with portal in high school. The current version stinks because you're trying to deal with kids entering the portal, keeping your current football team while also recruiting future kids. And that's where they want to get rid of the overlap. And I understand doing it at beginning of December, but championship week again complicates it. For yeah. example, and FSU Louisville last year would have been in some, some degree scrambling while also trying to prepare to play a football game that yeah. in the future will almost certainly, well, I don't know, the ACC might get you know left at the door because PhD ain't doing damn thing about it. But it's supposed to have implications on you being in the playoffs and when they expand the playoffs. So, like, I understand why coaches don't like that, but they do have to get rid of the overlap of the transfer calendar and high school calendar, and that's what their goal is. So I don't think there's a great way to do it. I think truly there has to be at some point they sit down and revise the entirety of the calendar and figure out how to create times off for both – coaches recruiting kids and for kids to just sit and think about things instead of always feeling rushed i also don't think a signing period immediately like that june 20 this year 24 25th after you have kids on campus on june 21st and everybody's in a rush to get them is the best thing for kids because i feel like it's bad analogy but putting a gun to their head and making them make a decision i don't think that's a good thing um so yeah i think an interesting thing that's going to be different this site like if they do if this december 4th day does pass the you know the championship week uh signing day what like do the teams that have late season home games just benefit to a crazy amount because they can host guys the week or or you're hosting a kid wednesday to friday before you hit the road to play a road game yeah Yeah. 
But that's what like that's crazy to me. That, yeah. that, that, that's but that problem. that's true of any change in the counter. There's going to be ramifications that don't work well. And, that's why I think that, the entirety of the counter has to be addressed. But guys, that would like over a period of time, and <laughs> there's nothing that's happening with the NCAA right now that or college football landscape that seems like it's going to like last for years from now, anyways. Uh, but like that would even out over a period of time. Like for Florida State, so you host Florida one year, next year Florida hosts you, and like that's yes. so that would even out like where you'd be. Yeah, but it, if you. Say FSU's on the road at Florida, they have a bye the week before, and they play some slappy the week before. That's going to draw a half-ass crowd because you're an eight-win football team at that point. Not FSU necessarily, but you're an eight-win football team. You're playing, you know, Western Carolina. Sorry, Catamounts. And, uh, you know, it's like November 14th. Well, teams you're combating are going to have the next two weekends. That's what Zach's point is. Do you know what a Catamount is? No. If you're on the road the last weekend, like it's in the what, name, it's a cat. What do you, what do you do? I don't know. I guess for Florida State, it's always going to be on the road in Florida, um, but maybe, maybe not. We'll see where the, there, there is no current perfect fix with the way the entirety of the calendar is constructed. They have tried to put guardrails on the timing of the transfer portal, and I think that's alleviated some of it. But it's also created a short window cluster in December that this past year drove a lot of coaches absolutely berserk and was unfair to current players on football rosters, high school recruits, and coaches alike. It, it's going to be interesting to see how many – like so in December now, during the early signing period, about 80%, 85% of like high schoolers end up signing, especially – Yeah, I think I think blue chip-wise it was like 237 of the top 247 I mean, this so past even, year. I mean, it was an absurdly high number. So I wonder what it's going to look like in June. In fact, I, June's too early. That doesn't make a lot of sense. To me. I think it should be August first if you're going to do. I think it should be August. I, I think I think you shut down July completely, give coaches literally a month of break, everybody a break basically for a month, and allow kids to sit and think about it. And maybe you cut off all communication. Don't even allow electronic for a couple weeks or something. I know that's tough to enforce and teams won't follow it. I'm living a utopian lifestyle with that. Thought, but but, but I, do, I do think there has to be some form of like, hey, kid, you've collected a lot of info. Now decompress for a minute and then come back to the table and make your decision. I, I think that would benefit everybody. I think it would also create a situation where less kids immediately are going to transfer. Because um, a lot of the reason kids transfer is they have an emotional high on a visit. They commit. They end up signing. They get there and realize, oh man, it, you know the rules aren't as nice when you're not a recruit, and they don't like it and they leave. I I think there's a degree of you can fix some of the problem you're having on the back end by making decisions on the front end. I, I think this all benefits Florida State as currently like the way this program is currently comprised. I don't think Zach does. I think Zach's belief is that I think Zach's schools wrong. that. Schools that are mediocre to poor but very good at recruiting pitches are going to win out on kids and basically exactly. win more exactly. when is Florida State recruiting classes in the prep ranks usually at its best during the summer. Okay. Well, is I think my, right, okay, all right, and then and second, okay, Brennan, Brennan. wait, 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 a little bit of this. Gather the two, gather the two of them. All right, so that's first. Second, <laughs> all right. When when is there the most instability amongst like the most chaos happening in a recruiting period with coaches leaving and like all, like when does the most shit go down? December. Okay. So now you speed that up a week for a program that just re-signed its coach to $10 million a year. He's won multiple coaches. He's not going anywhere foreseeable future. And you're probably going to continue to win a lot of games with him. Whereas other teams are going to be firing coaches now, like going to have to be doing it in like 
early November in order to have some stability. Like, I think it sets up well for a program that has stability, like Florida State, to flourish with high school recruiting in that window. Are we talking about the June? Like, you're talking about well, the, the June, just the way it's set up now with the June window, December window, February. Like, I think, I think it sets yeah, up I guess well. It, with it just place. to me, it depends what the trend looks like of players that are signing in June, if that passes. Yeah, that, that is if, the ultimate. If it's a high clip, because what you're not taking into account is like recruiting strategy um, would shift. Obviously, um, you would try to make all out. Like you're seeing it. I think you're seeing the ramifications of this being presented to schools um, as a possibility this cycle because all of the uh, official visits are getting scheduled in yeah. February. The June. rush, the rush to June before. right now is mind. That has never happened before. I've never seen that. And you know what's funny is like you guys saw that before the rule change was talked about publicly. Like I knew it was some in the back end, but like you guys were like, "This is really weird." The amount of stuff that's already being set up, and now we probably know why. Yeah, I mean, I was told that I was told when FSU was presented with the rule change. So, like, so sorry, Zach. Yeah, I, I, I'm just gonna say so. It does line up. Um, but I mean, there's a natural progression of things where you know, the the recruiting cycle is always accelerated. Um, but I do think this has some correlation. I've been in the past always said I think basketball foreshadows what's going to happen with football recruiting wise. Sometimes, a few years ago, basketball created junior official visits, where they can take five as a junior, five as a senior, and they can repeat to some schools. And obviously, coaching changes allow you to take multiple to the same school. Do we think juniors should be taking official visits? Is that one way to fix this? I just, but then you're just going to have reclassifications too, which we've already seen starting to permeate into football a little bit more and more. And who, who knows? Like the early data of that shows that it doesn't work super well. So, right to me, like I don't think that's the answer. But who knows? I mean, is there a good answer? I'm not sure there is. We should just predict what is the worst thing that the NCAA could do, and that's what they're going to pick to do. I think the best thing is to turn it into a corporation and allow them to sign contracts and get rid of the whole sham of amateur athletics. But that's just me. <laughs> that's probably what's going to happen in due time. Can we talk about FSU's amount, like how screwed over FSU gotten by the NCAA making a ruling and then like a month later, like changing it and impacting FSU, NCAA violation. Now pretty much judgments, their judges said, uh, you can't enforce these NIL rules. Like a month after that. Uh, Daryl Jackson would have been great to have all last season. At the end of the season, they end up saying, "Oh yeah, we can't really enforce these." The primo rule. Yeah. Why does it not? Yeah, I don't. I don't understand why the um the new and the ruling in Tennessee and Virginia court, where you know the NCAA can't crack down on NIL infractions or whatever. Um, how does that not backlog to Florida State's? Because Florida State worked on a negotiated settlement and accepted it before that rule became enacted. Therefore, I think they're going to stick with it. Now, to play uh, devil's advocate on that, I think part of that is because FSU was facing a more staunch uh, enforcement I, situation. They, were, they, they were wanted to get it lessened, and that's why they went with the negotiated yeah, settlement. Day, uh, I can confirm that it was an initially. But if you dragged goal. your feet, you're but, probably dealing so with instead, no type of settlement. Instead of driving a recruit, um, they should have just flew them by a private jet like Tennessee, right? Rule number one with NCA, do not talk to the NCA. True. Level one violation is what they were. Yeah. Supposed initially. Um, 
All right, moving on. Zachary, you've had some travels recently. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had you on the podcast. Let's talk about some magic that you've worked and talking to. Uh, much that you put on your Cam Newton wizardy witchy hat, and you have gone ahead and talked to some players who are very, very difficult to get a hold of. Let's let's discuss. Yeah, for some reason, um, these two prospects are um, not easy to get over the phone. Um, but I got one over the phone, Dallas Golden. He's kind of – I mean, he's a really talented player. Um, he's a guy that Florida State has liked for a while now. When Pat Sertan got here last year, um, when they hosted that elite camp, last summer he was a guy that immediately stood out to Sertan and FSU's coaching staff um, as one of the top performers there and that was before he had any rankings um, didn't have a ton of offers but Florida State was in the mix and then you know now according to 24-7 sports he's the number 75 overall prospect in the country and the number nine safety so a supremely talented player Um, he's at a Tampa Berkeley prep six foot 176 pounds notre dame is currently the crystal ball leader for him i think that's probably right i think notre dame and both um them and clemson are doing an excellent job they both got him on campus in january for junior day visits but he's planning to go see some more schools and florida state's definitely on that list of schools that he wants to go see he told me he didn't have anything set up as far as if it uh visits go for the spring uh or for ovs but He's been building a good relationship with both Sertan and defensive coordinator Adam Fuller. He's one of FSU's top corner targets. You know, he's listed as a safety at by 24-7 sports, but he's on FSU's corner board, and they like him a lot. So would not be surprised to see him make it to campus over the next few months. And I think that's pretty important for Florida State as they look to combat um, Notre Dame there and Clemson. Um, and then the next prospect. Did you get um, a dog? No, that's a dog outside that's uh, barking. Um, next prospect I went to go see in person. Um, he's a guy who's actually straight down the road from me over here in Pembroke Pines in South Florida. And he goes to West Broward High School, Joshua Moore. He goes 6'3", 205 pounds. Um, he has an 88 grade by 24-7 sports. But I'm told Florida State views him as one of their top receiver targets in the 2025 class right now, I think it's an FSU Georgia battle early uh, Florida's in the mix. And so is Miami, but I, I really do think it's, it's FSU and Georgia at the top for him. Um, and I probably would give the edge to Georgia, but with the caveat that they just lost their receiver coach um, in Brian uh, McClendon, I think he just left for I believe an NFL job and the, they just hired James Coley. From yeah. uh, South Carolina, which coach. he does a great job at recruiting South Florida. He so. got called. He got called up too, huh? Yeah, he, he went to South Carolina for about a cup of coffee and maybe a restroom break. He did it. Was, a, he it, did was a, like, it was like the double A, uh, yeah. the rehab. Yeah, I was gonna say he did it. He did an introductory uh, press conference, so I thought that was kind of fun. They got but, uh, grand opening, grand closing. Yeah, um, got pulled up from the minor leagues, but uh, but yeah. So Josh Moore. Um, Big time target for FSU. Good relationship with Ron Dugans. Expect him back on campus this spring. And then I believe he's in the process of finalizing his Florida State official visit date. Um, a quick note on official visits for FSU. I think for top, top targets and commits, 
They want to get them on campus for that June 21st weekend, which is the final weekend that you could host prospects in the month of June um, for OBs. I think that's the, the priority is, is getting those top targets on campus for that weekend. You will see some guys, you know, mixed throughout um, because there has been a massive focus on just locking in OVs, you know, regardless with a lot of these guys. And, you know, it all depends on, on where you kind of stand the recruitment on whether you're going to have the, uh, the power to kind of dictate uh, where you are on the prospects visit schedule. But um, yeah, I would, I would, expect FSU to aim to try to get more on campus for that final weekend. Um, but as of yesterday, when I talked to him, it was not finalized. Do you guys want to play some buyer Sinone? Brought to you by the Turner Group. Let's take a quick commercial break and we'll get back to it. Unless you're watching the YouTube video and then you're, we're still here. It's weird. Welcome back to On the Bench Magic. Uh, much like the Cam Newton app, magic's going to be a theme throughout this episode. I think uh, we are going to finish off this podcast with a little buyer Sinone. Who's it sponsored by Chris? The, the Turner, Turner Group. Guys, where's Turner Group now? Where are they located? Everywhere, but especially here in Tallahassee. Tallahassee, yeah, Griffin Broker. Which, like, yes. you're not doing your business, your house selling or buying business with someone with the last name of Broker. What Born are you doing? What are you doing? He's an FSU grad, much like Colin, Amy Turner. And he is heading up the Tallahassee office. He has extensive background in property management, short-term rentals, and investments. Zach's family used Griffin to go ahead and broker uh, their townhome for, for Tallahassee. Yeah, so Griffin, Griffin's an awesome guy. I actually had dinner with him when I was up in Tallahassee last. And he's he's a really cool dude, super knowledgeable about the area. I would you know recommend him to anyone that is looking to get into the kind of Tallahassee market. Um, I think it's a pretty good market. Um, you know, with, with all these rentals and, and things like that. Um, you know, my family, uh, you know, use the Turner group to be able to uh, explore that, that market as well. So I could not recommend them more. You went to dinner with Griffin, but not to me. Or you didn't have dinner with me. We went out to a bar. We did go out to a bar. All right. Let's start off by Orsonone. We can tell, we have a magic power to tell whether a player is going to pick FSU or not just based on how their name sounds. <laughs> well, if it's so a three-name linebacker with certain measurements, then yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> Bye. But in general, uh, it's like an, more an or situation. Sometimes sure, other times no. I don't like when Brendan creates the questions. Uh, so known. Who said I created these? I'm just going off a prompt. Bye. I think I can tell. Yeah, let's throw some right now. Let's go ahead and keep score. Just off the top of my head. I mean, Primo Spears, when that name came up in the portal, it's Bye. like, yeah, that's that's God sending a message. Yep. Bye. Um, let me look at the target list. Uh, just say Josh, Josh Petty. Ooh. God, I wish. It's a known. Yeah, I'm going to follow that one. More, more of a Florida lean. Solomon Thomas. Bye. Big Saul. <laughs> You better say bye. <laughs> Jamie French. Oh, Sinone. You're not getting someone named French. Even though there's a French town in Tallahassee, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. Why? I just, I, because I can it? tell by the, I can just feel it. I don't know. Where's I, the explanation on that, though? I just know. He feels it in his loins. You know, you know, you know how I can tell? Because I just like to picture the message board two years from now bitching about someone not playing. And that's how I can tell. Is this guy going to be. Are they going to be complaining why this guy is not playing over the, the fifth-year senior? And that's not going to happen with Jamie French. I can just tell. 
Are we done? That's yeah. a good exercise. All right. We'll see. I'm probably going to go three for three there. By Orsonone, uh, recruiting coverage is has changed and is changing the way we do it. That's a firm buy. Uh, yeah. I mean, February kind of proved people just don't care about the generic. He likes FSU. This is why he likes FSU. Here's my top 12. It comes with a graphic. Um, people don't care about that. Like People want to know basically what schools are truly in it for a kid. When will they be back on that campus? What is it going to take to secure their signature? Who are the true players in the end? And maybe they want to have some knowledge of why that player matters, which is more from the scouting department. Yeah, uh, I would definitely buy that. It's it's changing. Um, what, I mean, were, we talked what, about, what were you waiting for? I just want to make sure Chris was done. Um, Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> we uh, we talked about it out as a we talked about it as a staff. I was thinking of my answer. We talked about it as a staff, um, and I, and I think it's definitely important that we realize um, that coverage and you know what people, um, what our viewers have interest in has changed, um, and I. I think it's all warranted and it's kind of the natural progression of things. And I mean, I'm excited to kind of get into a new realm of, of coverage. And I, I think our, our subscribers will, will like kind of what we've, we've got on deck um, between all of us for recruiting coverage this spring and then just moving forward in general. I was having breakfast with a buddy the other day. Um, let's call him B. We won't say his, his name. <laughs> and, uh, and he's a, he's an avid, like, subscriber and, and digest oh, all he's, he's avid <laughs> rabbit and avid uh and he was like i'm having a hard time getting into recruiting right now he's like i'll watch videos of, of guys after visits just to kind of get like an idea of their their vibe their whole you know setup but uh, for him to not be interested i was like yeah that's probably pretty telling why though like is it just because fsu's gotten burnt at, at the end of like nsd for like the last few years is it because it all just changes very quickly with NIL now. And you know, why? Because well, I think both of those. I also think the snub played a role. I think the snub, there's a hangover effect to the snub. I mean, heck, people are still going after Kirk 90 days later. It's not like it's going away for me. Yeah, the Kirk, the Kirk it should. Ain't, that ain't ending forever. Yeah. That's, um, that's forever. Enjoy the potatoes, Kirk. Um, yeah, I mean, like, potatoes at someone. I didn't say anything about throw them. Um, but if you want to toss them, uh, <laughs> at me, I love potatoes. <laughs> no, I, I think there, I, I think there's a degree of, I mean, I've done recruiting for 17 years now, like adamantly done it. Um, and for like 13 of that, I really, really was like knee deep in it. No pun intended. Chris knee deep. And, uh, yeah, I like, I've reached a point where like so much of it's just shenanigan and there's always been shenanigans and BS to it, but now that a lot of it for higher end kids is a financial decision at the end, like everything leading up to that point is just window dressing. And the top 10, 12 edits for Twitter, like I, I could not care less. Like it's, yeah. it's my, how yeah, how yeah, I care. you're like, not going to see, you're not going to see what they us. put today. doesn't matter tomorrow. So exactly. yeah, you're not going to see us writing a bunch of top 10 and 12 edits you know i some of our national guys i mean that's kind of their job they have to be covering every step of the recruiting process um but for us specifically i think we're going to be more focused on <clears throat> analyzing these guys scouting them um you know when are they getting to campus yeah get what the, the important stuff um because like chris said i, I mean we kind of can do away with some of the 
know, unnecessary. We're not going to write a feature 48 hours before they decide where it's not about money. And then they decide and it's all about money. Yeah. Just saying. True. We'll try not to. Brendan's going to reflect on this one day and be like, that was an all-timer today. I enjoyed some of those moments. T-Rex arms, Miami shade. Like, this is my wife's mug. All right. Buyers and own. Brought to you by Turner Group and Becky. Becky! And Griffin Broker. And Broker. Griff Home Seller. It's German. Oh. By Orson Own. Brendan nailed the Braden Fisk evaluation. Dude, you are so proud. Are all these connect questions just to pat yourself? Yes, this is, uh, dude, no, this is what happens when I don't put the problem. It's just navel. Sometimes you have to appease the sponsor, Zach. Just play along. (laughs) Sonone. What? All right. Buyer Sonone. Buyer Sonone, who's the king of the spring? Spring football starts in a little more than two weeks. We're getting pretty close to it. We'll have tour duty access in a week. Uh, or so from now, so we'll get to see that. Uh, we'll have the coach luncheon. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all starting the next week or two. Like you're going to start getting more and more spring content. So let's let's set the table here. We'll end the podcast with a buyer Sinone, who is the king of the spring. Go ahead, Zach. You pick first. I feel like it's always a running back, but um, or receiver. I'm going to go to twice. So Tamiwa Deroje. Tamiwa. Okay. Yeah. The West Virginia defensive line transfer. Do you think he's someone we're going to be buzzing about? Yeah. Everything I've heard since he got here is just the way he goes about his business. It's really impressive. And he's yeah. pretty special, big athlete. Shocking. FSU evaluated well with a big athlete. I don't. Um, uh, I don't think we can do the running list of King of the Spring this year. I don't think we should. I'm we'll going to do Shaheen Brown. I I think Shaheen. He what? started last. I know year. he has started a ton, but I think he's going to elevate his role and be like. I think it's fair to say there was not questions, but some That's deliberation of like, is he the secondary needs the next guy? Was is he the college conference? This player? is an all. This was, is just an all time. Okay, so you, you don't like a bad one. Holy he's shit! Like, wasn't he I, second team always? I think he's yeah. going to become essentially the voice of the defense. That would be an elevation of his role and who he is. The king of the spring implies like a coming out of nowhere. Even Zach, oh, coming out of nowhere. You want me to go with a coming out of nowhere? I'll go with Sean Murphy then. <laughs> <laughs> what? He didn't play at Alabama. <laughs> he just said not a newcomer. You guys well, don't know how to play King you're of the You're not allowed to walk in. It's kind of tough because, like, every every good player, um, a lot of the good players. A hiking way. P.J. Uangalole. He's a new player. Hey, I thought about it. <laughs> I'll go hiking then for doing that. No, AZ was, Thomas. AZ Thomas. I mean, I like Roydell Williams on offense for it and Sean Murphy. Yeah, that was going to be my first choice if I did a running back. But they're transfers, and you're telling me I can't do that. I also can't pick Shaheen Brown. Oh, Fentrell Cypress. Uh, oh, no, no, he, he's a transfer who has been here. I don't like you violating two rules at once. <laughs> I'm going to chuck a potato at your freaking head right now. I swear to God. Um, I don't. All right. Well, what about yours, Brendan? I was going to go Shaheen yeah. Williams, so you stole mine. Maker. So. But he had that great play against Syracuse. We know who he is. All right. You know, we'll do King of the Spring talk later on. We'll, we'll gather ourselves a little bit. For Chris Knee, Zach Blasi, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.